this week's episode of the Starting Eleven podcast, we're recapping the weekend's fixtures in the FA Cup and the Premier League with shock results for United and Chelsea. Here in the MLS, Toronto FC continue their fine start to the season, but should we be excited about it? All that and more coming right up, right here on the Starting Eleven podcast. Welcome to episode 10 of the Starting 11 podcast. I'm your host, Justin Borrow, and with me today is Peter Robinson. Support local football. And the one, the only, the fun, Chengiz Khan. Did you know that Chu, C-H-O-O, is Latin for the word sneeze? So when you sneeze, you're actually saying a sneeze, like achu. And I think that's really beautiful. Does that mean that a train is a sneeze sneeze train? Yes, yes, actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Uh, <laughs> I just, I'm not. He even got gonna, nothing. He got not, nothing this time. I'm not even gonna try. I, I'm not even gonna try. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, it was a pretty exciting week, guys. What would you say? Yeah. Yeah, it was Good okay. Weekend. I learned uh, about Latin today. <laughs> Clearly, and, and Latin sneezes. And, Depends who and you support. I, and I, and yeah. I learned that uh, I learned that uh, video assistant referee is totally not broken in any shape, way, or form. Oh well, we'll get to that. We will get to that. All right, guys, let's jump right into it. The FA Cup quarterfinals, Swansea, Man City. Uh, Man City win 3-2, coming back after going down 2-0 to Swansea early on in the game. Um, Some huge saves made by Robertson um, throughout the match, and uh, he seemed unbeatable for the majority of the game uh, until Bernardo Silva finally broke through, which opened up the floodgates for City to come back, but not without some controversy. Um, So the first controversy we're going to talk about, guys, is um, Carter Vickers goes in for tackle gets all ball uh kicks it away but sterling dives he goes down ref gives a penalty but once again guys the lack of var is spoiling what was otherwise an exciting game um it's one of those things where i believe that we need you, you need to either implement var or you don't having it in some stadiums and not in the others seems to me like a bit of a farce it, it doesn't work you can't you can't have it for some of the ties and not all of them um, because if this game was being played at the etihad then you could say that it would have been a completely different result because the offside goal by aguero and the penalty wouldn't have counted quick correction uh, before we say our opinions on this it was actually Nordfeller? Nordfeld? Nordfeld. Nordfeld. Nordfeld, who was yeah. in goal, not Robertson. Robertson was the man who cleared offline. But with VAR being in the state that it is, yikes. Just big yikes. I mean, we, we've already talked about VAR to death on, on this podcast, and I don't think we really need to waste any time saying our opinions about it again. But uh, about it being a different result at City, yeah, it would be a completely different result at City. Swansea would have never scored two goals. At City. Well, you could say that, but what I'm trying to say is that if the game was played the way that it was, you know, in Swansea, uh, at the Etihad, at where VAR could have been implemented, then mm-hmm. those two goals wouldn't have counted. You had the offside oh, yeah. goal by Aguero, and then you had the non-penalty um, on Sterling. Oh, no, that, 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 that won't happen because, you know, the FAR are completely competent. <laughs> well, I think my biggest beef with the whole game was that it wasn't too long ago that Swansea were in the Premier League. So why can't they have mm-hmm. VAR at their stadium? 
you, because you, they're championship peasants. That's why. <laughs> but you think that you know they, if they're <laughs> thinking of being a Premier League club or you know vying for a Premier League spot, they would have the capacity to be uh, equipped with VAR. Is it? Uh infrastructure issue though or is it a financial issue because that's what because i was under the impression that it was because these championship stadiums do not have the infrastructure to to handle var which i don't fully Mate, understand like, no but this is the thing is like villa is one of the biggest stadiums has one of the biggest stadiums in the entire midwest area but but that's what like, i mean that's why i don't understand like that's why i'm wondering if it's is it because the championship um, and League One and Two aren't going to implement VAR, whereas the Premier League, se- like the Premier League, will next season? So they already have sort of VAR in place, ready for that, whereas the other clubs don't. Well, it's a really strange way the leagues are are run. There doesn't seem to be any kind of, you know, if the FA had any sense, they would use the lower leagues as sort of a, a, a testing ground, right? They would use the Championship, League One, League Two, League Three, and then Sunday League <laughs> to uh, test out VAR. But they don't. They usually give it to the big clubs. They let them iron out the cracks, and then they give it to lower lower leagues, almost in reverse. Because all in the Premier League, there should be no room for error, but. This is the way things are. And I think it's really just down to the fact that because it hasn't been adopted in the top league, therefore it doesn't exist. Kind of like how Sky Sports don't think there was an English Premier League before 1992. Sky invented pro- football in 1992. Don't <laughs> at me. Um, just a lot of politics, I think, at the end of the day. Because there's nothing suggesting otherwise. Infrastructure or uh, financi- financially that they can't do it right here and now and do it well. Uh, well, if MLS can do it, why the f- why can't we? I agree, and I, I I mean I don't think it's it's super controversial controversial to say that Swansea were robbed in this game, and that you know they they probably should have beaten City. They were the better team um, for they the majority really of the well. game, and and they um, they took it to City, and and you know I'm unfortunately those two goals stood, but that's sort of the way the game is played, and you know say la vie. Say that be. On to the next round. On to the next round. All right, guys. So let's jump to the uh, the other game from the the quarterfinals. Uh, Wolves versus United. Well, shit. A two one Wolves uh, eliminating United from the FA Cup. Uh, Jimenez and Jota both score before Rashford puts in a late goal, um, which. I mean, came to nothing. Uh, United were weak. Uh, Rashford, for the most part of the game, was non-existent. Uh, and you know, the attack that we've come to expect from United under uh, since Solskjaer took over um, just wasn't there. It, it didn't exist this game. And uh, look, Wolves dominated the match, and United just couldn't seem to find their feet. And it was disappointing. I'm going to make you feel better about this. Are you? I'm going to make you feel better about this. Yes. Um, would this result have been surprising if Mourinho was still in charge? No. No. There you go. I think it's surprising for a different reason. I think it's surprising because of how well they have been playing under Solskjaer. Um, seeing well, that's my them, point. Yeah. 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 Just, 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 a- just let, it, let it sink in. Let it sink in. <laughs> United suck. It's okay. You got knocked out by Portugal's B team. It's okay. <laughs> that's literally what I was going to say. Um, I think they're in a bit of a slump right now, United. It's not, it's not been, uh, you know... Happy, uh, happy hunting for them for the past couple games. So slump, slump relative to United though, because you know, thirteen wins on the bounce or something like that. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's, up until the weekend because they they lost Arsenal. Yeah, well, that's what I was gonna uh, say. Like you had you had the game against Arsenal where they, they they played well, and I think that they were probably the better team in that match. They just unfortunately didn't have um, the balls go in the back of the net, uh, which is 
the whole point of the game, right? Um, but I mean, in, in this match, I thought that they just were absolutely outplayed by by Wolves for the entire ninety minutes. They they just didn't seem like the same team, and um, you know that's the way the cookie crumbles, unfortunately. Let's just say that uh, did we really expect United to? win every single game under Solskjaer. Yes. <laughs> they, they were going to hit a patch like this at some point. Uh, it just seems to be happening at kind of a bad time of the season. Um, you know, falling out of the uh, the FA Cup. I know they're still uh, they're still in the Champions League, but they did draw Barcelona. So, yeah. Uh, see what happens <laughs> I, would, I would love to say, for footballing reasons, you should have let us win against you. And then you sh- then take the energy that you saved against us and win against Wolves. I know that's not how football works, but that would have been a much better scenario for everybody involved. <laughs> well, I mean, look, they're still fighting for top four. Um, Chelsea lost to Everton this week, uh, this weekend, so that was Out huge. Of freaking nowhere! What the hell? Yeah. Well, we'll get to, we'll get to that. Everton, Everton, you're supposed to be get, getting relegated. Christ, <laughs> <laughs> they messed it up. They're going to be in the Premier League next season. But you know what? My my one thing is that you know Wolves have consistently shown up against top six sides and if they would have performed the same way against middle of the pack teams then you know they very seriously could be close to top four contention as opposed to sitting in seventh place right now on the outside looking in you know because like they're sitting in seventh place behind chelsea they're not going to catch chelsea oh it's like a 13 point Um, gap there's no way that they're going to come back but it's just it's unfortunate because if they would have put in this kind of showing against you know middle of the pack or even bottom of the table sides then they could very easily be in top four contention uh and and i feel i think they're a team that's good enough to to do that i think that super nes has done a great job with that squad Nuno Espirito Santos, was it Santo? Santos? Nuno Espirito <laughs> yes. Santos. He, he's, he's done an amazing job uh, recruiting players and bringing in the right kind of squad. You should totally buy Balotelli so you can have NES and Super Mario. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't mind seeing Balotelli come back to the, uh, the Premier League. Did you hear oh, Balotelli yeah, had a picture of Rashford underneath his jersey? So that if he scored against PSG, he could show the picture of Rashford. <laughs> That's amazing. No way. Super troll job. That is amazing. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, in other FA Cup news, and to Chengiz's delight, uh, Millwall fall to Brighton in penalties after a dramatic comeback by Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, Listen, just no, it's not to my delight. It's to the world's delight. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing that would make the world happier is if Brexit was cancelled. <laughs> I mean, let's look at it this way. Matty Ryan, big penalty save, uh, kind of put them through. Mm. But I think it was the late goals. The it late was, goals, yeah. Those were huge. Massive, um, yeah. It shows, you know, Brighton, although they're they're kind of out of it in the Premier League, they're not going to give up in the FA Cup. And it stopped Millwall from knocking out another Premier League side. I mean, it would have been a nice story, but not for Chengiz. <laughs> not for anyone. <laughs> you could sense, you could every, sense every the time, anger every, in his voice. Every time you say shit like that, that makes me think like you're supporting Millwall or you're defending Millwall. It's not that I support Millwall, but I do support the underdog. Like it's one of my, it's one of the things I love about. Have you seen Brighton play this season? They are the <laughs> underdog in everything they do, even being Brighton. Let's put it this way. I liked Millwall's kits. I think they're they're really classy this year. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, guys, the FA Cup semifinal draw has taken place. It's going to be settled uh, April 6th, April 7th. Man City's taking on Brighton and Watford taking on Wolves, which should be two. Uh, I mean, City should 
by all accounts, you know, bulldoze over Brighton. But I think Watford uh, and Wolves are going to be a really uh, tightly contested uh, tie. Do you guys have any predictions for who's going to be going to the finals? Uh, Man City, obviously. And then uh, I'd like to say Wolves, um, based on the fact that Watford, meh, you know, they're kind of the same type of team. Uh, in the Premier League, yeah, no, I, I I love the Watford Wolves matchup, yeah, um, because they're sort of they cancel each other out in a lot of respects. Uh, you know, Watford are very they are more of a brute classic English team. They're very uh, long wall bruise bruiser type centre forward in Troy Deenan, who who's actually a very intelligent footballer, um, but because he plays as one of those classic number nines, like a like a, a discount Alan Shearer, um, <laughs> he does he, he does he does kind of get uh, classified as some some sort of uh, Neanderthal. But he's actually very intelligent with his movement. Whereas Portugal's B team. Uh, Wolves, they are very technical. They're very silky on the ball. They have amazing counterattacks, and they they've been really putting the hurt on top six sides, but failing in the mid table side. Watford have done the complete opposite this season. They've just bent over backwards for the uh, for the top six and bruised away the 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 mid table relegation team. So it, this is going to be an interesting one for the neutrals, and uh, I really want them to both play in their home strips. We could just to really screw with everyone. <laughs> yellow yellow. It will almost certainly be Manchester City in the final, and I would love for Wolves to meet them because I think they're better equipped to deal with them. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think it's going to be City uh, and Wolves in the final, and I think that the way that Wolves have played against top six sides this this season, I, I could see them beating City uh, in the final, which it would be great because I don't want to see Man City win the trouble. Um, quadruple, quadruple, sorry, for. yeah, but I, no, they're don't not going to win the Champions League. Don't, don't even <laughs> no, get me not. started, please. <laughs> Spurs are going to knock him out. Watch. Well, the way that Messi's been playing, Barcelona could because, my God, did you guys see that game against Royal Betis? Yeah, but that means they have to meet in the final. Yeah. <laughs> we yeah, don't want City in a final. <laughs> I mean, we, we know we know United's going to lose 10-0 on aggregate to Barcelona. We already know this. Well, that also means Barca wins the Champions League, and we don't want that. No, no, because the thing is, historically, Barca suck against Liverpool, who they, they would meet in the semifinal. And uh, wow. then it would be Liverpool versus City in the final, which we can't have, really. And then we just hope that both teams lose. <laughs> <laughs> just call the game right off. Just cancel the game. So Spurs are going to do a number. If Spurs don't do a number, then it's up to Champions League Ronaldo to do a number on City. Let's put it this way. We actually get to play in our new stadium for the Champions League. Yeah, it's coming. Is it, so, it's coming is very that, soon. Is that for sure? Is that a real thing now? The first match has been confirmed against Crystal Palace. Which what, is the what best a, match possible. What a game, eh? They choose Crystal Palace. <laughs> London Derby, though. I yeah. mean, to a lesser extent. It would have been nice to have it against Arsenal, but, you know. Yeah. Or Chelsea. But listen, it's going to be it's going to be a magical occasion under the lights at Tottenham Stadium. <laughs> Tottenham Stadium. No, uh, I think they're going to call it, uh, is it North London Stadium? Or is it might be the new White Hart Lane? There's a couple names being thrown around. So we'll you see mention Nike Stadium? Is that still a... No, Nike supposedly isn't going to get the naming rights. All right. uh, still up in the air. I'm going to say North London. Uh, but then again, Arsenal's going to be like, but we're North London. But they're not. Let's just get that. The Islington. Let's get that straight. They're not North London. Um, I'm okay with New White Hart Lane. New like, White. New White Hart Lane. New White Hart Lane. Why not just call it White Hart Lane? Because it's 
the new White Hart but Lane. But didn't did, did, did they not destroy White Hart Lane? Like did they not tear it down? Yeah, that's why this is the new White Hart Lane. I know, but it's not like it still exists. Like they, they can't they just I don't know. White I would just Hart call it Lane White Hart Lane. Lane. It's, it's on the it's on the same land. It's on the exact same Yeah, they land. just tore it down and then rebuilt, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so just call it White Hart Lane. <laughs> it, it would make one White it would it would make sense if like there was like old White Hart Lane, you know what I mean? And then new Hart what but it doesn't I don't they, know. The, but they they did the same for Wembley and they don't call it New Wembley. Well, they did call it the New Wembley for the longest time. But they called it the New Wembley. They didn't the call it New Wembley. Wembley. It's the, the New, new Wembley. Wembley is a product. Why are we talking about this? <laughs> Naming rights. Am I right? <laughs> I feel like this is going to be something no, no, Chen is going to enjoy cutting when he's I, I, I got a, I got, No, no, this is this is staying in. Um, <laughs> I got I got a great name for you, uh, Sports Directorina. Oh, oh no! Oh. I, I thought you were gonna call it the Dasani Arena. Dasani Arena. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we're not in the Saudi League, okay? We have a bit more. It's because we bottle it. Because <laughs> you bottle it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Let's look now. <laughs> let's it look now to the week. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> All right, guys, let's jump now to the weekend matches. Uh, we're gonna start with Saturday's fixtures. Uh, West Ham, Huddersfield. <sighs> comedy of errors uh so west ham end up coming back to win 4-3 uh huddersfield are up 3-1 it looked all but over but as we all know guys football is a 90 minute game and huddersfield are a god awful team this season so it wasn't all uh, that just, surprising you, you forgot something what did i forget the ball is round the ball is round. Oh, that is football true. is a 90 minute game ladies and gentlemen news at 11 <laughs> <laughs> let's just say Huddersfield almost got three of the most useless points <laughs> in this Premier League season, and West Ham saved them from getting those points. It's true, but it's just I, they. I don't know how they managed to blow a three-one lead in the final fifteen minutes of the match because they're lose. Huddersfield. They're lucky and to even be in the Premier you, League. You've got to feel for Huddersfield. I mean, like they played well during the first seventy-five minutes, but they just couldn't hold it together. Like they fell apart like a card tower in a Category Four hurricane. I mean, I mean, I don't feel bad for them. They're they, it, they've been bad this whole but it's season. almost so bad that it's funny like they were up 3-1 uh, there was a bunch of West Ham fans leaving at like the 65th minute um, you know they were just sort of like leaving the stadium because they thought it was done and then somehow like they just fell apart and, and West Ham you know show up and just just it was it was so bad that it was it was funny I couldn't help but laugh and you know you you gotta feel bad for anybody in that position no matter how bad they've played all season well it's to a point where they may end the season with less than 20 points. Currently, they're on 14. And I really don't see them you know, gaining a lot of points towards the end of the season. So, um, they could have a record low point total in the Premier League. Oh, like I said, guys, it's comedy of errors. And, you know, we'll see how they do But in the Champions League. But we could have another uh, Sunderland situation on our hands where they just get, you know, destroyed in the championship as well and end up getting, you know, no, relegated at least, twice. At least, we'll, at, least we'll, at least we'll get a good Netflix special out of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, guys, but let's now jump to Sunday where we have the meaty match uh, that I know Changes is just dying to talk about. Uh, so Fulham, Liverpool, uh, Craven Cottage. Did you say this is a meaty match? Well, I said meaty yeah, what the in, this, in the sense that Liverpool or Chengiz is going to want to talk about it. Uh, uh, no, no. Listen, who's Van Dyke? Listen, <laughs> who's Van Dyke? Listen, listen. Milner giveth, <laughs> Milner taketh. Okay, I've I've come to the conclusion that the reason that was as sweaty as it could have been is because Milner 
hooked the ball, which then Van Dyke didn't clear well, and then Allison decided to play futsal with it instead of clearing it. So this is a comedy of errors. But yeah, that, that came from Milner, and he joked about it as much in the in the in the post match. He's just like, "Nope, that was on me. I'm sorry." Um, but you know, I had to keep it interesting. <laughs> uh, but you know what's really funny is that Ryan Babel came out the day before and said, only I know what Virgil van Dijk's weakness is. <laughs> and then he steals the ball from him and Allison scores. But no, I, I'm I'm happy for Babel. I'm I'm happy he scored. I'm happy he's doing well at Fulham. He's one of the few players that I do actually wish well on uh, from Liverpool. Well, it was it was interesting too because I mean Liverpool really they looked dangerous throughout the match, but um, they just mm. couldn't seem to kind of break through. I mean, minus you know the Sadio Mane goal, uh, but then after Ryan Babel equalized, I mean the only reason. Liverpool went on to win was because of that really stupid penalty by Sergio Rico, which he didn't have to do, you know, dragging Mane down. It was soft, but it was also kind of stupid. Like, why would he wrap his arms around him? It just, it wasn't necessary. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't, the ball wasn't right there. Like it's it's (laughs) a soft penalty because of the action taken by the player, not because of the call. The call was absolutely correct. And you call that 10 out of 10 times, you know, drag a player down, the goalkeeper dragging a player down of all people. Um, Yeah, no, I mean, Again, like the, our fluency is being let down by our front three. Now, Firmino, I think, is doing an excellent job keeping the glue together. Uh, Mane is the form player in Europe right now, 11 and 11 now. Um, Salah is doing so much right. He is in the right positions. He's making the runs. He's uh, peeling away. He's calling for the ball. He's passing it fast and moving. But because now he is no goals in seven, the rustiness is showing with this finishing, like just certain. And you can see like him getting this, frustrated. You can see it's frustrating. Well, him. I think I think that's inevitable because he has such high standards of himself, and everybody has come to expect him to be a premier goal scorer. You know, just just little things like his his body movement is very predictable, so goalkeepers can read the shot a little bit better. Uh, defenders know how much space to give Salah and then when to close him down. That unpredictability, that that X factor has gone from Salah, and now he just kind of looks like a a very fast, very technical winger, which is what we saw at Roma to, for for the most part. Um, I feel like for Salah, it's just a case of get one goal and then he's just going to be on a complete tear for the rest of the season because he's doing everything else right. As for the performance uh, by Liverpool, very good overall. Um, silly, you know, lost heads for, for a quick second. And that's something we can't really allow because there's no room for errors now. And it just comes down to that simple fact that, you know, one moment can decide a title race. And we nearly had that one moment today. Almost or a slippy G. Almost. I didn't know you were a Chelsea fan. <laughs> <laughs> well... Speaking of Chelsea, uh, Chelsea lose to Everton 2-0 to the delight of United supporters, keeping Chelsea in sixth place as the race for top four continues. Uh, Chelsea dominated possession throughout this game, but they just couldn't seem to break down Everton. And I mean, there's more questions now being asked of Sarri after his lineup selection, you know, which saw uh, Hudson-Odoi on the bench uh, to the ire of many Chelsea supporters and, you know, Ross Barkley starting. And and I, I, there was just a slew of, now this is obviously common with Chelsea, but there's just a slew of, of backlash from Chelsea fans who just seem to have had enough um, of Sarri and, and, you know, just this team in general. And 
they're a fascinating enigma in my opinion just because they have quality talent throughout their lineup but they can't seem to gel as a team to produce the results that they require so like is it a player problem is it a sorry problem or is it just a Chelsea problem in general it's a Chelsea problem in general. When you have this revolving door of managers and this revolving door of, of realistically players um, and, and no, no bare bones structure to kind of build off of, um, it's going to be hard to sort of have those leaders in the locker room and have those leaders on the pitch. Um, let's be real. Eden Hazard is not a leader. Um, David Luiz is not a leader. Um, Ross Barkley, as much as he may be a decently technical player, he, he's not, to me, he's not a, a Champions League player. And that's really what Chelsea needs are some some very good um, technical goal scorers. And they don't have that. Uh, Rudiger, not a leader. Uh, as Piliqueta, as much as he's been there for a long time. Fake leader. There, there doesn't seem to be anything coming from him. Uh, Kepa, as we know, just... He doesn't listen to the manager, obviously. Um, kind of, uh, to me, he's not strong enough yet um, to be a Premier League goalkeeper. And I think the holes are starting to show in Chelsea. And I think a lot of that has to do with Sarri. I, I have to agree that it is a general Chelsea problem. You look at that dressing room and you know they're not unified. There are definitely still some afters going on after the Carabao Cup final. You don't know who's in charge. Uh, you, there's Because of this instability in the dressing room, it translates to a lack of winning mentality on the pitch too. Nobody's trying to fight for each other. You know, you might have some clicks here and there. Like I know you, you could, you know, very, very clearly that uh, Aspilicueta likes Kepa and he likes David Luiz. David Luiz is just—it's—he's one of those people that's impossible to hate. He, everybody seems to like him no matter where he ends up. But you know, the rest of the squad's completely isolated. I don't think anybody's made Jorginho feel welcome. I don't think. Um, Conte has stepped up to to be any kind of leader figure. Hazard has been playing for himself for the last two, three years. Um, Giroud is a bit shy. Guain just got there. Like, yeah, there's, there's no there's no leaders. There's no vocal people. There's nobody of a John Terry type or a Gary Cahill type that can just really shout at people and just say, listen, get your shit together. Let's, let's go win. This is Everton, for Christ's sake. We shouldn't be losing to them. So and, what's and the solution shows. then? Well, you ship out half the squad or all the squad, if you ask me. But it's it's irrelevant because you, uh, Chelsea have transfer banned for the next two windows. They yes. can't do anything. So they're kind of have their hands tied in that situation. And and today today they got a bid of eighty two million for uh, Hazard, uh, which they rejected uh, because they want one hundred fifteen million euro for him. So he's gone. Like that's happening. And Hudson Odoi is gone. Hudson Odoi is gone. Um, Which I don't get. Like you already know Hudson Odoi is gone. You know, you know he doesn't want to stay. So why not get the most out of him now while you can? You know, I I know that Sari has this. Um, well, they can't. They can't. They can't now. Transfer windows closed. And I mean, they can use him. That's what I mean, but, though. Like I'm not talking about selling him. I'm talking about like you know you have him here. You know he's quality talent. Put him on the field and, and get as many goals out of him as you can. You know what I mean? Like, especially since they're chasing top four as well. You know, like, why not, you know, use him while you have him here and, and get as much out of him as opposed to just letting him sit on the bench? I know Sari doesn't like to use young players. He's, you know, it's one of those situations where you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but, um, that's just in my opinion you know why like you know that he's he's already proven in my like this year that he can perform and that he can score goals and that he has the quality so 
why not, you know, get him on the field and, and, and have him, instead of bringing him in in the 76th minute or 77th minute when it's too late at that point, you know, why not have him on the, the field to, to start and, and, you know, actually make an impact for your team? Because fundamentally, he's an attacking winger. Um, I think most Chelsea's problems stem from midfield and the lack of cohesion in midfield. So he might be able to make something happen. He might track back a little bit better. Um, but realistically, I think he's being touted as a savior for the front three solutions. But it's it's I think I think their problems as a footballing squad run a bit more deeper than that. I don't think he'd make that much of a difference. He'll he might be good to throw on and score the late goal to see off a game, but I haven't seen any indication from the performances that he has done so far that he is a game winner, a match winner of you know the likes that would attract Bayern. Like he had, there's no proof that he'd be the solution. Well, it's true. He doesn't have a track record of of being a. a you know, a good Premier League goal scorer because he hasn't had the opportunity. Um, That's true too. You know, maybe if Sorry did give him a run of games, maybe he would start to bag a couple, but unfortunately he's not going to get that at Chelsea and that's why he's going to move. Mm. I think uh, what Chelsea needs to do now that they have this ban, they need to kind of clean house. They need to mm. capitalize the money that they're going to make on each of their players that they see value in. Um, and then they need to invest in their youth and they need to realize that the the teams that are doing well and the teams that are challenging are making the right buys and have some sort of of youth to their squad whereas it seems that Chelsea doesn't Chelsea has nothing Chelsea buys sort of the flavor of the month or the flavor of the week and then they hope that you know that's going to work so, for them so who would you clear out well I think uh Hazard has to go yeah, no, he's writing on the wall for that. I think Giroud's gone. Um, I do think that uh, David Luiz and Rudiger have to go. I think that Marcos Alonso could go. I think Jorginho could go. Um, I think you need to keep Conte. But as we know, Hudson Odoi is already gone. Now, do you have any players that you think would be good solutions to come into Chelsea to, to sort of to, to be that change? I mean, realistically, because they do have a transfer ban for two years, you have to think of... Players that are going two windows. to be two, well, windows, two windows, but players that are going to be available next summer. Um, so you also have to think of age. So realistically, we know Manchester United is going to go after Alderweireld. I think that that's someone that could help out Chelsea. But again, he's going to be a year older next year, and Manchester United is going to going to snap him up this summer more than likely. So nothing to do there. Um, I think if they can wait. I think Milinkovic Savic might be a good, good buy for them, um, but I feel like he's going to stay in La Liga, or, uh, Syria um, with one of the bigger clubs. That'll be there. another sorry buy if he, if sorry stays as well. Like I think, yeah, you, 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 the, the Abramovich has a tough choice to make. Like he has, he can't sign anybody for two player for two windows. So does he commit? Does he commit to Sari, or does he get somebody else in who can work with what he's got there, with the remnants of whatever's left of that squad? I don't think it makes a difference. It might. You get Ancelotti back in, for example, he'll work wonders. But he realistically, it's it's almost like being a you're you're a holding manager because if they get rid of Sari now, the the manager that comes in can't do anything with the team. Like realistically, mm. they can't bring in their own players. The only thing they can really do is promote youth. Um, so you, you would have to get someone, maybe someone who works with, with the U23 team or the U21 team, um, sort of promote them or like an, even assistant coach wouldn't, wouldn't be good because 
they're they're obviously Sari's team. So I think you have yeah. to promote from within someone who knows the the U23 squad or knows the the academy squad and can start to bring in those players. Um, and they also have an, a small army of players they can recall from loan too, right? They can, those those buys could work too. It's a it's definitely an option. It's going to be interesting to see what Chelsea does because you know. I, Realistically, if they don't start to pick up points, they're going to be a Europa League club next year. Well, they're going to have to do something because, like you guys said, they they can't bring any players in, so they're going to be in a situation where they're going to have to get creative and and you know promote from within. And so I think this would be a good time to do that, right? Is to start to kind of. But if, if the thing is, if Sorry's not, if Sorry's not a manager who likes to use his youth players and 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 do that, then you know maybe uh, Abramovich has to get rid of him and bring in a manager who will. Uh, Arsene Wenger, anybody? Yeah. Arsene Wenger, <laughs> bring him out of oh retirement. My God. <laughs> Well, guys, only time will tell. And that's going to do it for part one. In part two, we look at what was an exciting home opener for Toronto FC. All that and more coming up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Hey, everyone. If you've liked what you've heard so far, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review to let us know what you think about the show. We would also love to hear from you. So please, if you have any questions, comments or concerns, please send them our way over at the Starting XI podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. For more general abuse, be sure to at us and follow us over at XI Podcast on Twitter. Now, let's get back to it. Welcome back to part two of the Starting Eleven podcast. Let's start now with what was an electric night down at BMO Field for Toronto FC's home opener against the New England Revolution. Uh, so it was an interesting lineup for Toronto FC to say the least, because uh, it seemed like they were going to be playing a four-four-two, but it kind of turned into more of what was like a three-five-two with Aro and Moro playing like an attacking winger role, mm. uh, and then it seemed almost like Chapman dropped deep with Bradley at some point. There was there was a point where they had Chapman at like right back and I didn't understand what was happening there um, and uh, so you had sort of formations made up and the points don't matter <laughs> that's that's legitimately it um, and yeah so basically then you had you had moments where there was Chapman Bradley and Mavinga uh, kind of holding the back line it was interesting to say the least um, but it kind of worked I mean having Moro stepping up um, to play that attacking um, you know winger role and, and same with Aro um, they were dangerous there was there was you know uh, so Peter and I were down at the game uh, and you know the atmosphere was great uh, to, to start with but um, you know the Toronto FC didn't look bad and I, I think that cautious optimism is beginning to turn into real optimism uh, I mean <laughs> Pump the brakes. <laughs> it's only been two games. Um, I think Aro looked very dangerous. I liked what Aro was bringing. Um, I think Moro looked very dangerous. Uh, I really did like the attacking wing back aspect of the lineup yesterday. Bradley did have a good game. Yeah. Um, you know, he was making that pass and- that set up um, Altador's winning goal yeah. was fantastic. I think Bradley did have a good game. Yeah. Um, I think. We still have a question mark over Alex Bono's head, and we're always going to have a question mark over Alex Bono's head because he's not that good. I, d- I don't think, Let's I don't get think that there's, real. A, there's any need for a question mark. Let's just have a period over his head. He's bad. Stop playing yeah. him. Bench him. Get rid. Come on. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mind um, Quentin Westbrook stepping up to see how he does. Yes. Just give him a game. Yeah, see how he does. Yeah, you against know. Vancouver or Salt Lake because they're garbage this year. <laughs> We're going to get to Vancouver. Don't worry. I have it. I have oh, it. I love it. 
Um, but you know what? The atmosphere was great. It was nice to see the South End, um, you know, rocking again. It's uh, towards the end of last year since all of the um, drama with the inebriati went down. Uh, it, it kind of, you know, fizzled out and it, it kind of felt like uh, a funeral home at times, uh, BMO Field, which, you know, is it, not something that can be said uh, often, you know, over the tenure of this team. But uh, last night it was alive and well. Uh, Peter, you were right in the midst of it. I was right in the middle. Um, it was great. It was. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. It was my girlfriend's first game, so um, she was. She's not a footy fan at all. So it was actually hilarious watching her reactions to it because she doesn't watch live sports. Um, so it, it was. It was great to have. Uh, you know, a first. A first uh, first timer there for a home opener. You said that she um, uh, she liked the capos. And she energy. loved it. <laughs> she was like, "Oh, he keeps on losing it. Like he's just losing it, fist pumping and yelling. Like, how does he go to work the next day? He's gonna lose his voice." I'm like, "Most people lose their voices here. Let's be real." Yeah. Um, but it was good. It was fun. It was uh, it was freezing cold. It was um, really cold. As not as, as cold as Champions League. Not as cold but as it Champions was cold. League. <laughs> it was cold. Um, you had to make sure that you had your gloves and your hat. Um, but you know what? The sound was pretty good. I think that um, the, the the groups were coming together a little bit more. I think it was a little bit better oh, throughout the season. I think it's going to get uh, much better. Yeah. Um, and it was a pretty good turnout for, for the weather. It was, yeah, 23,000, which, I mean, to put it into perspective, the uh, Scotiabank Arena only holds... I think eighteen and a half thousand. So you know that's that's a good crowd. Uh, BMO holds I think thirty seven thousand at full capacity. No, no, that's far too many. Less thirty three thousand. It's thirty four. It's if they add the extra stands. Oh, they add the extra stands. Okay, then, then it's it thirty four. Yeah, I think it's only like twenty eight or something like okay, that. Okay, so it wasn't bad then. Full capacity. So yeah, the lower level was packed to the to the gills, uh, which was nice to see. Um, but I, I do want to just talk about one one aspect. So they're trying this new thing this year, uh, this whole legend TFC thing. And I, I'm kind of curious, what do you think about it, Peter? Because I, I thought it was almost cringeworthy. Um, but I'm curious if it's something that you like. Do you think it's a, it's a, it's a good aspect to try to bring in? So for those of you who might not know, um, basically what they've been doing is there's this song from uh, the Red City Ramblers. They were playing all last year um, during the warm-up. Uh, it's called The Legend TFC. And, uh, you know, it's it's like a... Like, what would you call it? Like it's a, kind of like, like an anthem. Yeah. I guess like a Toronto Sea anthem. It's like a folk a song, bit. like a bar, like a bar sort of song. Um, and, you know, it, it's a good song. I, I do actually enjoy it. Um, but I guess this year they're trying to kind of turn it into like a you'll never walk alone type of thing. They want everybody with their scarves up and singing it. They're putting the words up on the Jumbotron. Uh, I think the in, in-game host, you know, said the legend TFC, like, 5,000 times like <laughs> well I think they're, they're trying to ingrain it in people's minds that you know there's there's a song out there it's the legend TFC and it's uh to be honest it's quite catchy I'll be honest I I found myself singing along um in the south stand a lot of people around me were singing along as well um I think it is something that could catch on I love it. I, I love the song. I left it in the car when I'm driving down to the games. Like, I, don't get me wrong. I'm not, you know, shit talking the song. I just think in general, like this, you know, this ingra- this ingrained notion of like, oh, we're going to put the words in the jumbotron and, you know, everybody sing it with us. Like, I just don't like that. Like, like, I would a, much rather it kind of come natural. Yeah, but here's like, the thing. Know, is, of, here's the thing. Is it, it doesn't come naturally. That's why they're doing it. Well, they're, they're trying to, uh, I hate to say that they're trying to force it on the supporters, but they are trying to force it on the supporters because it does add um, a little bit of identity to the team. Yes. Um, yes. You know, you know, we've got like, 
you know, just can't get enough when we win, <laughs> which is a great song, but it's I'm, not I'm score. TFC. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I, I, this is this is uniquely Toronto FC. It mm-hmm. is. It is very uniquely Toronto FC. But I have to say something though is that this is a good way to start building a unified fan culture. This is a good way to it is. It, the, having something external that everybody can look up to is the hallmark of every great club. Uh, you know, like you'll never walk alone. You have Glory, Glory, Man United. You have whatever the Spurs one is. <laughs> yeah, whatever that one is. <laughs> but but it, my, my thing is, is that as an anthem, it's pretty tame. It's it's not something that gets the blood going. It's something that you kind of hold hands. It's a bit of it's a bit kumbaya for my liking, and I, it is a little bit. It is. Yeah. And, yeah, and you like, could say I, that. I like the kumbaya. The kumbaya. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. The kumbaya is great, and every uh, like for for us in Liverpool, it's ale ale ale, which is extremely kumbaya. Um, but our main anthem is almost it, it it's emotional. It's raw. It gets people up their seats, and. I know, like this is early days. Fan culture, a unified fan culture in TFC is not something we've seen up until this point. But this is a good start, and I'm okay with dealing with the kumbaya as long as, if it means that everybody starts singing, everybody gets up, and everybody starts. I, I do think if know, they can eventually get you know twenty three thousand people singing it together at the same time, it will be a really cool sort of you know thing to oh, see. Yeah. And I think that that will you know, and if, if they can ingrain it to become like a "You'll Never Walk Alone" type mm. you know thing, where when the team comes out they sing it and you know it becomes almost uh, a custom you know but i think that if like it's one of those things that they have to kind of force you to do and and if it doesn't catch on then they need to just sort of you know cut it like it just to me felt yesterday like almost like all right i get it like i know you want us to sing this because they, they brought it up like 500 she times. had to though i mean I there's no, a lot no, of people who didn't have yeah, any yeah. idea that there's a song out there yeah, right? yeah no I, so. I agree i agree i just i just wanted to see what your guys thoughts no, and were. like yeah for, i think to, to be completely honest like half the people who attend tfc games are on their phone anyways so that it's, it's an yeah <laughs> it's a necessary evil that, that's that's fair. Um, so there was a little bit of controversy in this game. Um, the second goal, uh, Jordan Hamilton's goal, um, Chapman was clearly offside, uh, and there was a debate raging on because Ted Uncle, the referee, uh, he went to his ear um, but decided that the goal should stand. Uh, the argument was that Chapman was, you know, two, three feet offside uh, when the ball was played to him. Um, but what a lot of um, people failed to, to notice was that the uh, New England player uh, made a, a pass at the ball. Uh, he stuck his foot out. It deflected off his leg uh, to Chapman. So people were arguing that, you know, just because it deflected off him, it should still be offside. Uh, however, uh, after looking into it, the the rule actually states that if the ball deflects off a player, then yes, it's still offside. But if the ball is purposefully played or a meaningful touch is, is made by the defender, then the, the offside is negated. So if you actually watch the play, the defender, I forget who it was, but, um, you know, he kicks his leg out and he play. actually... He plays the ball. If, if he was just standing still and it bounced off him, then 100% offside. But because he made a play at the ball and he, you know, deflected it himself, uh, he therefore played the ball to Chapman, therefore negating the offside, therefore letting the goal stand. And based on that rule alone, I think it should have sta- uh, should have stood. Um, now, a lot of players are saying that they need to therefore change the rule or, or change the wording of the rule so that it's more clear. Um, do you guys have any thoughts on that that controversy there? Because I, I don't think it was that big of a deal once I saw that he played it. I mean, I, I get that the wording of the rule is like that, but 
realistically, a, a defender making a swipe at a ball shouldn't negate an obvious offside call in my mind. Um, I know that it was it was a quite a big play in the game, but realistically, to me, it should have been called offside based on the fact that Chabin was way offside. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, a defender trying to block a pass shouldn't constitute a play on the ball, like a defender playing the ball. You know what I mean? I did giant air quotes there, but um, shouldn't, negate, shouldn't negate the offside. So, you know, if he was playing it back, then would you still say that was offside if he purposely plays the ball back? Because then you could just make the argument that, because, you know, he, he made a kick at the ball. He tried to clear. I don't think he tried to block it. He looked like he tried to actually, you know, boot at it and he it deflected off him. So, you know, just saying in my opinion, like that should negate the offside because he's making the play at it. It's not like he's just standing still and the ball happens to deflect off him. He made a play at it and he, you know, he messed up on the play, so therefore he played the ball. I mean, you can you can tell by the the body shape of the defender what they're attempting to do. So if if he's opening his body trying to play it back to the goalkeeper, you can see that. In this specific play, he he wasn't anywhere near the goalkeeper. He, it's not like he was trying to play to the other center back, nothing like that. Um, so realistically, you think he was just trying to bring it down? Uh, I think he was just fair. trying to one time clear it. Yeah, I don't think he was trying to take it down at all. Um, but is and, that not a play then? Like, is that not him trying to play the ball if he tries to make it clear? Because I think I think making a play on the ball almost necessitates that he's trying to um, take like control the ball. Um, but in, in this specific play. I think him just wildly swiping at the ball doesn't doesn't constitute playing the ball. Okay. But here's the thing is it he's wildly swiping at the ball because he's trying to clear it. If he had connected with the ball, it's it's gone. It's nowhere near the, the, the area that it's in right now. And that's a clearance and that's a play. And so I think the 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 call was correct, in my opinion. Um, the replays... Based on the wording of the rule. Based on the wording of the yeah, rules. I can see but that. But do I yeah. agree with the wording of the rules? It's a, it's a bit anal. It's a bit silly, in my opinion. Because if the ball does go to somebody else who is off, clearly in an offside position, then... But, I mean, you know what? Toronto cut off to a good start, you know, 2-0, and uh, which I don't think we could say that we expected, um, you know, when Champions League first started and seeing, you know, just how they played against uh, Independiente. Uh, it, you know, we, we had our doubts. And I, I think, you know, there's still uh, a lot of... Um, things that need to be fixed i'm still not 100 percent convinced of our back line uh, i still don't think simon has um the quality that you know or he hasn't shown the quality that um you know we we've we are expecting of him but i i do want to give them some more time to gel and i think that the the the, the question at the beginning of the year was where are goals going to come from uh and we've gotten them from iowa canola you know, uh, 20-year-old youngster who, you know, stepped up uh, when, you know, he was called upon and, you know, got his first MLS goal in his first MLS start. Uh, good on him. The way he cut through the defense there was just, you know, it was just a masterclass. Um, you know, we got goals from Jordan Hamilton, um, which, you know, he's a striker and, and he scored some great goals for TFC too, but, you know, he hasn't performed like that when he's had his chance with the first team. Uh, and Michael Bradley scored two goals for us. So, you know, and now with Eltador back, Eltador put one in. And so the, the question at the beginning of the season was, where are goals going to come from? And we've seemed to have found them, which is, you know, great. And if we can, you know, tidy up our back line and, and you know, find um, a formation that works and we can, you know, 
you know, secure it and, and Bono can step up or Westberg, whoever it is, uh, and keep balls out of the net, you know, then this this could be a, a good season for Toronto FC. Look, expectations need to be tempered big time because it is Philadelphia and New England Revolution. Like these teams were not expected to be challenging for, for the playoff places, for the cup, for the sports shield, none of that. So these are teams you, you expect to beat, really? And honestly, like even against Revolution, it was 3 2. Like it wasn't a great performance. No, and you're right. Um, but I mean, one of the things that's changed from last year, there's there's two main things that have changed. One um, is uh, we've gone down last year when we went down first. I think we only came back to win once. Um, last season was. Uh, I, I know, was, but I'm just saying. Was, yeah. I'm just saying that yeah. that was a uh, you know like that was something huge. Whenever we'd go down, we just couldn't you know find it in us to come back. Whereas this season, or so far, you know, we went down last night first early on in the game uh, with a penalty, uh, and then Iwakinola equalizes. I think what ten minutes later, uh, twelve minutes later. So I mean, it was that was a that was a step up from last year. Was just you know them being able to to find um, you know dig deep, uh, not you know, get down on themselves and, and, you know, come back fighting. And the second thing is, um, you know, they ground, they, they were able to grind out the result at the end, you know, Eltador scores with 10 minutes left and they were able to see it through. And that, that was a big difference from last year as well. And so those are two positive signs, um, that have changed so far. And I think that the addition of Potswello, um, coming in is, uh, against New York city and, and with, um, Eltador back, you know, I think it's going to be even better than what we've seen. I mean, you know, the way the team is playing right now, where does he, where does he factor in? Who do you take out? Nick DeLeon has had a man of the match performance on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he's been great the past two games. Um, scored a goal in the first match. So, do you, do you take him out? If you take him out and put Pozzuolo in, it's it's you don't really know how Pozzuolo is going to mesh with the team right away. I think realistically, the player that needs to come out, in my honest opinion, is Osario. He really hasn't shown up for the past two matches. No. Um, I think we're starting to see that Jonathan Rosario had a flash in the pan season last year. He's coming back down to the player that realistically he, he is. Um, he, he's a squad player. He's a good, he's a good attacking player. Um, he's great control. He'll distribute the ball, but takes too long on his decisions. He does. He, tr- he tries to do a little bit too much. I think, um, there, were, there was one time where he tried to do a bunch of step overs yeah. and ended up just falling over the ball. Yeah. Um, like you can, you're, you're not you can, that kind of player. You can see his, his, cause he did have a, his, his background was in futsal, right? Like when he was in high school and uh, he said, he, and he admits to that, like his, you know, he comes from a, you know, a, a futsal style of play and, and, you know, you can see him, but the thing is he doesn't actually have, you know, enough, I don't want to say skill, but he he's not able to to do it well enough where it works all the time, right? And and more often than not, like you said, he's tripping over the ball or he's losing it or you know he's making that one extra touch he has need to take. Uh, example: yesterday, the free kick, you know, beautifully set up uh, right to him, and instead of just you know hitting it first time, you know he stops it, takes one extra touch, and by that point, the defender's in front of him blocked. Now I understand him taking a, a touch. Um, I do think he should have gotten a little bit more height on that ball and just pound it into the the back of the net or the top of the net but then again you know i don't play for Toronto FC, so <laughs> it's a kind of just me talking you know out yeah. my ass but um yeah i think that if that had been uh you know if it had 
it's one time where we were missing Javinko. Let's let's put it that way. If we had Javinko on that free kick, it probably would have scored that free kick directly, um, as opposed to having to, uh, you know, make make that pass. It was but a also, good, it was if, a good routine. That been, it was. It was a good routine. Obviously, a training ground routine. But um, you know, if it had gone to somebody else, I think they would have scored. Mm-hmm. Azario has shown that from the penalty spot, he's not good. Realistically, we have to think of where Pizzolo, where Pizzuolo is going to fit into this lineup. Um, you know, do you take out Akinola and have Hamilton up top or have Altador up top and then play Pizzuolo right behind Altador and then have De Leon and Nazario and Bradley as the other three? But then, you know, what do you do for the defense? Because at that point, you're only having two two yeah. center backs and then your wing backs. <laughs> it kind of creates a little bit of a problem for Greg Vanny. So we'll see where the tactical genius of Greg Vanny <laughs> comes into this. <laughs> he says with no sarcasm whatsoever. <laughs> um, well, you know, guys, March 29th, uh, they take on uh, New York City FC and uh, that's going to... That's going to be Pozzuolo's first game um, or with the team, we hope. Uh, you know, he left Genk early. And and like you said, it's only time will tell. So we'll see what happens. But I'm excited because, you know, they've done what they've had to do these last two games. And like Chenge said, mind you, uh, they were not, you know, extremely difficult uh, opponents. You know, coming up against teams like D.C. and Seattle, it's going to be a much tougher, um, a much tougher, tougher challenge but they've done what they've had to do and uh good on them and you know going you know two nothing in our two no uh two and oh uh into the international break is is huge for them yeah um i'm still i gotta say i'm still on the fence about alex bono a couple times where he had to he could have come out and uh claimed the ball in the box didn't yeah um kind of left a little bit there was one where he could have probably caught it but instead he just kind of palmed it into like right in like two feet in front of him in the box there, there and was, that was a little bit there's also there's also this one moment where he could have totally saved it um the second goal oh yeah yeah that could have happened <laughs> um, i know it took a little bit of a deflection but not enough where no. if he actually had committed at, to at a the, dive the speed he would have saved and it, it was going slow enough that yeah. he, i think he was expecting more to get his foot on it but you can't expect your keeper or you can't expect your defender always to get to it like your job stop the ball and so even if he would have dove and that it deflected or you know and more got to it or did, just at that point he should have went for it and, and with how slow the ball was rolling you know he just he didn't commit to the save and you know it cost us yeah yeah so his positioning for this goal is completely wrong. He's covering his near post, sure, but he is way too far over and he's a little bit wrong-footed when the shot comes in. He is not well-equipped in that position to be dealing with, with, with a cross, let alone a shot. I think he set himself up completely for failure. And, and the thing about Bonner is, yeah, his decision-making is bad, his, his catching is suspect, and his hair... Jesus, but well, he's he's got concrete for feet. <laughs> he's got concrete he for feet. Legitimately, he does not move his feet. He won't move, and he, you can be a good goalkeeper and not move. But in order to play like that, like if you look at Manuel Neuer, he and I know this is a bit of a stretch to compare Bono to Neuer, but for the sake of argument, Neuer never really moves for some of the sh- saves he makes. He's actually it, it feels like they're always shooting straight at him, and it's because his he's, positioning is so positioning. because of his positioning. It's solid, whereas Bono's positioning is always always wrong. It is always suspect, and it just invites a shot like this. If Bono was a little bit more centrally placed. 
you know, uh, you know, Charles Gill would not be, or Carl's Gill would not be thinking about trying to take that shot at that corner. He'd probably be trying to think about something more towards the near post, at which point you'd expect any keeper worth their salt, which admittedly Bono may not be, uh, to, to cover their near post with relative ease. Plus, Oro is in the way, so that shot really isn't even on. He has a, no read of his defensive line. He has no read of the situation. He doesn't even see... Um, I, can't, I, I don't know who that player is, but the, but the guy in between Mavinga and Moore... Surprise, somebody's in between Mavinga and Moore again. <laughs> but, but he doesn't even see him. He doesn't even cover that. He doesn't even think about what's going on in front of him. He just... It feels like he plays with tunnel vision and it drives me nuts. He doesn't have control of his box. And if you don't have control of your box as a keeper, you're a bad keeper. End of story. No, it's true. Especially in a physical league like the MLS where, let's be honest, a lot of the crosses are skied. Yeah. A lot of them have a lot of loft underneath them. There's a lot of time for a keeper to get underneath those. Um, And a keeper with good command of their box will be able to take those crosses. And Bono... Because he doesn't have the agility um, in his feet, he doesn't move out for them. Um, so, that again, this is where I miss Stefan Fry. Because Stefan Fry had great feet. He was able to play the ball with his feet. He could, he could distribute the ball well with his feet, and he moved. Um, it's where I miss him. Let's just be honest. Where I miss uh, Julio Cesar. Julio Cesar. I miss you. I miss Julio Cesar. Actually, he was the... He was an actual goalkeeper. Um, yeah. Really quick, fun little story about Julio Cesar. Uh, I was in Portugal uh, last year, and I was at the Benfica Stadium. And as I was walking around the Benfica Stadium, I ran in to Julio Cesar. And uh, yeah, so that was pretty cool. And I told him that you know I was like, hey, I'm from Toronto, like Toronto FC and stuff. And uh, we didn't have much time to talk because he was. Uh, Go, I think going to lunch they have like a little restaurant up there because when we were doing our tour after I saw him sitting down by the window but yeah uh, walking through uh, the Benfica Stadium ran into Julio Cesar Can get so. a picture with him? that's pretty cool <laughs> no um, we were just like they, he had like a crowd of people I think it was his family there around him and then oh, well, you know I, then, we saw him and we well then you're just, just you're yeah. just chatting shit it didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> it happened oh okay okay sure sure it happened <laughs> Of all of all the of all the footy players that I could tell you guys that I met, I'm telling you I met Julio Cesar, the ba- the the ex backup keeper for Benfica. So, oh yeah, I'm, I met Obama last week, but my phone was dead. <laughs> Didn't get a photo. <laughs> Didn't get a photo. That's pretty cool, though. Anyways, uh, it was cool, and it was uh, it's a great stadium. Uh, if anybody's in Lisbon, I recommend going to check it out. And that's going to do it for us here on the Starting Eleven podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you can listen to us on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember to subscribe, leave a rating, and a review. It helps other listeners find this podcast. Uh, and you can also follow us on social media, um, Twitter and Instagram at XI Podcast. And uh, yeah, just you know, keep following along. And uh, on behalf of Peter, support local football <laughs> every time. Uh, Changes, support League 2. <laughs> <laughs> and myself, thanks for joining us.